It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. All right, we're here at MJ BizCon, uh, day one with Rick and Rich, uh, Richard Battenberg with Clientel, or Client Capital? Clientel Capital. Clientel Capital, Clientel I had it right the first time. Capital, yes. Right, what is Clientel Capital? How did you guys get in the industry? Tell me a little bit about uh, you guys and, and the industry itself with Clientel Capital. Sure. Go ahead, Rick. So, uh, right around 2015, so previous to this, I was working at Merrill Lynch. I did all the syndicate, the IPOs, uh, the new issues. So, managing some money over Merrill Lynch and then doing all the new issues and a little bit of private equity work. Um, in 2014, Richard already made some passive cannabis investments. And then uh, when I left Merrill, uh, we started a, a VC fund. And um, we actually became the first qualified institutional investment capital firm in the country to hold a licensed entity inside of a fund. Hmm. Um, so originally it was our intention to do turnarounds. Um, and then when we got in the space, we started interviewing uh, you know, potential acquisition targets and we're like, show us your P&L. They're like, what's a P&L? And we went, oh no. <laughs> um, so what we ended up doing was buying everything in the supply chain. So mm-hmm. grow, extraction, dispensary, and then everything ancillary as well. You know, Rich's background, uh, entrepreneur of all the different shapes and sizes, but most previously to doing uh, the VC and cannabis, he was working in uh, SaaS, big data, running the back end for Time Warner, Cox, Bright House. Uh, Comcast in Comcast. particular. So um, our, our expertise was in business process redesign and metrics around measuring those uh, human factors, you know, engaging with systems and tools. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, what I found was uh, the cannabis industry, so this is 2015, 2016, uh, looked very much like the cable industry did back in the 70s and early 80s because it was a lot of mom and pop operators that had a great deal of passion for the product, and, uh, but they didn't have a lot of like what I would call corporate governance experience and, and scalability uh, in their operations. So uh, after spending many, many years in cable trying to really fix those problems that were born of, a, of the roll-up uh, that happened in cable, which is why cable companies still can't get a technician to your house at the time they say, well, uh, it's really not the people in cable, it's the back office systems. Uh, my thought was maybe I could stop this before it happens in, in cannabis. That was the original intent, and it was to be more of a consultant uh, and, um, and, and a financier, right? Uh, we found out very quickly, as Rick was saying, that we had to become operators. And the space was so exciting and, and didn't really have anything uh, as far as infrastructure, anything from software to right. banking to, to, to insurance. To or even just traditional anything. business acumen right yeah. across the supply chain. So over 2015 to 2017, we acquired or bought or you know, started... Built. Right, you built a lot of components stuff. of the supply chain. And then 2017, we, once we felt like we had a diligence baseline, we really went, okay, where do we want to be in that supply chain? And we're like, okay, we don't necessarily want to own the farms growing the grain to make the great goods. You don't necessarily want to own the dispensary or the liquor store that only has geographic loyalty. You want to own the brand, right? So that's when we went out. Uh, we became the master licensor for Clear um, and knowing we wanted to be in brands and distribution because that's got the most scalability in our opinion. So we acquired the clear fully as part of a 351 transaction in April of 2019, consolidated five different portfolio companies as part of a strategy to get to liquidity. We also bought out um, uh, as part of an APO transaction out of Texas to make sure we had the round line shareholders for liquidity. Um, but generally speaking, you know, 
we acquired the clear because it had such a strong brand presence in California, such strong distribution, and it really was a brand that came to uh, you know fame really because it was good, right? Because again, California 2013 through 15, there's no marketing, right? So the product became famous because it was great, right? So really, if you start with that as the foundation of any cannabis brand, right, and you can build from there. It doesn't matter what celebrity is endorsing a product. At the consumer level, they don't care. They don't. They don't care at all. But they, I don't think they right. care about brands either yet. I think That's you're right. early to the game you're where it's totally still right. THC at the lowest price point. You mentioned picking up turnaround companies or maybe distressed sure. assets. Sure. I think we're seeing that on the West Coast more than, than yep. emerging markets, obviously. And I think some of it, I'm gonna throw Select out there because they've spent 800, 900 million dollars sure. on Oregon companies. That is, you know, half as bad as Oklahoma, but that doesn't mean it's good. It's still the dirtiest sure. shirt in the room on the West Coast, yeah. uh, or, or maybe California is. Sure. So what, what, what like is a Time Warner AOL equivalent? Uh, where you have massive valuations and in the future is going to have write-offs where Aurora's written off a billion, Canopy's written off three billion. That's going to keep happening with yep. malinvestment. It absolutely is. And what happened was in November 2018, it was 183 times forward earnings was the average multiple in the cannabis space in November 2018. So speaking from the investment bank side, if I could raise money at those valuations, you absolutely do it, right? The problem was they were selling to investors that were misinformed at crazy high uh, EPS, and they were doing that simply because they could, right? Mm -hmm. Then they, what they were doing is going down and trying to correlate non-correlated assets to try to get their revenue to catch up to their valuations. Which and can and never happen. Didn't can work. never happen. Well, it, I, I was saying during this time when we were raising it, because we did our raise at eight times. <laughs> Right. And everybody else was like 140, 135 well, average or something. Pub, I was like, so. who, what, what guy wants to be or gal wants to be the CEO of a company that's made that kind of promise to the investors that they can actually well, turn they, a profit? It's they said, impossible. It's crazy. Can, the Canaccord Genuity guys, all the IB guys there like, went, saw an opportunity to raise a bunch of money, right? Because remember, IBs don't care what the valuation is as long as they can sell it. Right, so they're going to raise as much money as they possibly can, and then all of these companies, whether they be, you know, whether they were SPAC or not, they were SPACs. Right, mm -hmm. these are companies put together by bankers. It goes, oh, we can raise a bunch of money, and then we're going to go down and buy a bunch of distribution assets and grow assets. And the problem was they had absolutely no operational infrastructure to oversee those assets, and they gave gold handcuffs to all the operators who were no longer emotionally involved with the success of the company. Right, so lo and behold, of course that doesn't work. Right, so you've got a bunch of operators that are no longer invested in the success of the company, who got a big check and a bunch of stock, but now all they're doing is watching their stock crush mm -hmm. because guess what? The revenues aren't keeping up with the, the projections, mm -hmm. right? So there's an attrition happening right now, right? Tell me about that. With the consolidation, sure. you're going to have capitulation, meaning companies that don't understand how to get that strategic partnership yeah. are going to fail. Absolutely. They're going to be a Larry's Handy Mart in a world of 7-Elevens if they don't use first mover advantages. You got it. You got so it exactly. tell me a little bit about how that consolidation is going to play out and what role you guys are going to play. Absolutely. So here's the key, right? Brands and distribution. Brands establish an emotional relationship with the consumer because right now, the bud tender has the most to do with the supply chain of what they decide when they walk into the store. That, as you mentioned earlier, is beginning to shift, right? Brands, people are starting to walk into a dispensary with an idea of what they want. So what that means is the power gets taken away from the dispensaries and given to the consumer. And we're seeing that happen right now as we're getting more ubiquity, okay? The 
distribution is the key, right? So dispensaries right now have the the only ability to distribute product outside of delivery, right? But we've already seen this in other markets where we see increased delivery, increased direct to consumer, right? And as that continues to increase, right? You've got Ease, you've got Ginger, you've got these other companies that are going direct to consumer. We're going to see that power shift. Guess what? To the consumer and to the distribution. Mm-hmm. So our key, right? When we're ever looking at acquisition targets or roll up, is we're looking at brands that have an emotional relationship with the consumer, mm. right? And we're looking for brands that solve a specific problem for a specific demographic, mm. right? So when we're looking at and has strong it's a consumer packaged goods, right? Uh, play. It's a a lot of the is. investment was was in in 2019 pre-COVID sure. was maybe uh, accurate dosing marijuana lounges, mm-hmm. MSOs. Sure. We're in a new I'm, normal. I'm not sure I would say marijuana lounges was a big investment in 2019. No, I don't think it was a big investment. I think there was a lot of talk about the potential for that investment. Right. When sure. you look at um, you know, the crystal ball predictions of how people thought that 2019 was going to roll out, the reality of sure. it didn't quite meet. Oh, of course. Yeah. Now well, with a lot most, of other factors. We don't have a, a clear crystal <laughs> see, ball. See, I, yeah. What is your crystal ball so, now post-pandemic? So I, call this, I call this the snow day effect. Okay. okay. So the reason I call it the snow day effect is that okay, you wake up on in the morning, you're a kid, okay? and there's four feet of snow on the ground. Mm. Everybody's got to make a new plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what happened with COVID was everybody had plans, and then we had the snow day, which means everybody had to make a new plan. Mm. Right? So the world shifted dramatically. So if there's one thing that's consistent within this space, it's that you have to be nimble because the plans are going to change. Right? You don't have a plan because you, it's going to be right. You have a plan so you know when something changes. Mm. And right now, what's going on is everybody had to make a new plan. Right. So the companies that were the most nimble and the most, uh, uh, let's call it, flexible and ability to change their strategy, right? Because if you were heavy into marijuana lounges, as you previously mentioned, COVID, you're toast, completely toast, Mm -hmm. right? So being nimble and understanding, and that's part of the reason we've taken a very VC approach to this, is going, okay, well, hey, we can take a big step back and kind of adjust our strategy based off of what we see the current regulatory environment because changes at the county level, the city level, the state level, the federal number, and the international level, Mm -hmm. right? So making sure that you own the consumer, in our opinion, right? So the next three years, okay, is all about the consumer, right? Making consumer-driven decisions, not making, okay, well, how, what market? So we also own a 60,000 perfect grow in Colorado, which prints money, mm-hmm. but it's capital intensive and it's gonna get scaled back mm-hmm. only because, guess what? As we get ubiquitous legalization and you have the ability to move it over state lines, we're eating, we're, we're using more processed goods, which means I no longer care the quality of the bud structure. I care about if I can go up for $4 a pound in Kansas, mm-hmm. right, because I'm think, processing it anyway. I think all of this really boils down to simple fundamentals. Most of the investment that has come in this space, no matter whether it's software, training, delivery, brick and mortar stores, cultivation, even manufacturing and brands, has been based on how much money can I make in the next 18 months or less. And that's the fundamental problem, really. Yeah. Uh, because nobody, nobody's really making a plan that is looking five, seven, ten years out. Everybody just wants to exit. How am I going to exit? Who am I going to sell I'm assuming you to? guys have a plan, though. So if somebody mm-hmm. is watching, sure. uh, whether it's India, South America, Azerbaijan, sure. or, or anywhere else we've got people watching, sure. where can they contact you to find out how the markets are going to be playing out? What's so, your contact so, or social so media? Simplest, where are you at? So the simplest way to get to us is through LinkedIn. You know, Google our last name. Okay. You know, we've, we've yeah, got, Battenberg's got fairly, lots, lots fairly of, unique. <laughs> we've, we've got lots of commentary, and I think the credibility comes from, you know, we're on, on record as far as five years back calling things that happened, you know, last year. So really the key to this comes down to one thing, which is 
you have to understand where your position is in the market and not what's going to be important in the next six months, but what's going to be important 10 years from now, right, when you're looking at the cannabis industry. Do you think you're going to be looking at what dispensary chain do I like? Right, no. Probably not, right? No. So thinking about when you're making those type of investments, understand that cannabis is going to grow. It's, it's, we see it pro rata. We see it, we see it across the board as far as regulatory across the world, right? So you have to start thinking about, okay, bet on the industry as a whole. Like if, you, if you're talking about taking a position from a public market, <laughs> buy the market and wait, mm-hmm. right? Because trying to individually pick stocks is a mistake mm-hmm. in my opinion. And, and, I've, and I've thought that for a long time, not just in cannabis, but if you want to bet on cannabis, bet on cannabis, right? Bet on cannabis. And if you want to do venture, call us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'll have their uh, contact information in the show notes in the description. So with that, we're going to roll this one up. I want to thank my guests, Rick and Rich Battenberg. Thank you so much for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. Add them out. (laughs) Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out. And check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.